Today's gospel is also the basis for our sermon today. We'll give careful attention to these words from Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Mark writes a gospel in like rapid fire. If you were to pick one of the gospels, that'd be most like a teleprompter just kind of flying in front of your eyes across the screen. Mark's gospel would be like that. 90% of the sentences in the gospel of Mark in Greek begin with the word and. <laughs> it just sort of keeps going. <laughs> and, <laughs> and. <laughs> Imagine getting to every new sentence 90% of the time. And it just kind of begs you to keep moving. But at the same time, I, I think it's, it's this has its own way of uh, splashing art on the canvas and, and letting you pause if you like to pause and still see what's been, what, what's been thrown together. And the Holy Spirit used Mark to give us this gospel. And the details may come with very few elaborational, de- you know, not a whole lot of extra things tossed in there. And yet it means something. Mark isn't going to be like Matthew where he pulls a passage from the Old Testament and says this fulfills. And it's not going to have this long of sentences or maybe describing the characters and what they're going through as, as detailed as Luke or something else. But Mark is just kind of bang, 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 and, and, and. And it's up to us to kind of hit the pause button and look. So what do you see, fellow believer? You look to this word for your strength and your song. You look to the gospel to be your good news. What do you see when the first, the first rapid fire line is after John was put in prison? And it's so easy to just move into the next part after John was, wait, what? <laughs> John, the, John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Jesus, the great voice out into the desert with crowds of people around him. Can you imagine the headlines of that day? The front page newspaper, John imprisoned. I mean, this had to be big news. After John was put in prison, Mark writes about it as a, as a known thing, that John the Baptist was put in prison. That was a big deal. What kind of shock waves would it send? What about you? And Mark doesn't phrase it in a way that says, after so-and-so, like, like giving, giving an, an hour of fame or a moment's notice for some enemy of the gospel or some enemy of the word of God. It doesn't tell us who did it or when, not in his account anyway. We know these things, but not from Mark. Mark. 
after John was put in prison, then the person that's named in the story is John. Your identity is to stand with John, know his name. He means something in this story. John does. After John was put in prison, do you, do you feel a loss in the family of God with John in prison? Do you feel what's going on in the world if, John is put, if a John is put in prison? And the, what was John's message? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. What did Jesus immediately say and proclaim out in the open after John was put in prison? Jesus came preaching and he said, repent, the time has come. The kingdom has come near. Jesus is stepping into familiar shoes, owning the words. But I want you to pay attention to this John the Baptist moment, just like there's somebody else kind of in the background of this account on the other, on the other end of it. So here's the, here's the flow of the gospel. John the Baptist put in prison, and Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, the time has come, repent and believe the good news. And Jesus went and saw some fishermen and said, follow me, and they did. And Jesus saw two others in a boat with their father Zebedee, follow me, and they got out of the boat, left their father and the hired men, and followed Jesus. The character at the front, that's sort of in the background, is this John the Baptist. Don't skip over it too fast. And the one at the other side is mentioned twice. Zebedee. It's just a father. But in, in these two, you have the context of major thrusts for Christianity. Major voices. This Christian faith will cost you everything, says John the Baptist. You will have to say goodbye to a lot of comforts and typical pleasures. You will have to recognize that there is something bigger and better to be after. It's worth it. It's worth it. And then there's Zebedee. And I'm not trying to major in the minors, but I'm trying to help you identify with these real characters that are in Scripture. And Mark does slow down to say, and James and John left the boat with their father and the hired men. It is a little bit of a slow moment and followed him. He could have just said, and they got out of the boat and followed him, right? Instead, they left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Zebedee had a, a business of prosperous people need to eat and fish was a great way to feed their bellies and so they're out there fishing and he's got hired men they're doing so well and he's raised his boys you can probably see them growing up saying daddy can i come in the boat with you no it's too dangerous you know the squalls that can come up on the sea of galilee but you know you could see him mending with their toes in the sand mending the nets for for the dad learning the learning the ropes right learning the business that's doing really well, is this their father's legacy? That they would, they would take over for him? Is this their, their father's training and their, and their bond and their time together? And just like that, that Jesus who's in cahoots with John the Baptist, you realize he's close to John the Baptist. You really want to get out of this boat? Where's Zebedee at? A Christian faith 
that will cost you everything and you cannot put a price tag on how valuable it is to you. I will leave it. I will leave it all behind just to have this. Come follow me, Jesus says. And you look sideways at fellow believers who've left normal Sunday mornings and you've come to gather here and it will cost you so much and yet there's no place you'd rather be. How do we get there? We get there in the middle with what's not bookended in in Zebedee and John the Baptist with what stands as the great word to you and to me and the great word that we have to share. Repent for the kingdom is here. That's a word that costs the disciples everything. That word, repent. You have to let go of everything in that word, repent. Do you hear it? Do you see a Peter who jumps out of the boat, but you know what follow me is going to mean for him with the word repentance? Peter right now, you know it's inside his heart and he verbalizes it later, especially on the night of Jesus' betrayal when Jesus says the shepherd's going to be struck and all the sheep will be scattered. And that's, you know what Peter says? Never. I'm never going to leave you. Peter is jumping out of this boat with all Peter's strength and might and willingness and heart and determination and commitment. You know, he is following his Jesus and he says, even if all others fall away from you, I never will. They will have to put me to death to separate you from me. And a couple hours of late later, Peter is one of many fleeing from Jesus. What would it cost Peter to follow Jesus? It would cost every sentence of pride he had going through his mind. It would cost him every Peter identity he wanted to claim for himself, every high mountain of what he was in the world. He was going to have to let go of and realize that he was a sinner, that he was not good at following. He was going to have to let go of all of that and live in the word that the only net that could catch him was the good news that as his tears fell, broken over the fact that he would deny his Lord. And the tears are caught in a Savior who dies for him. A God who loved him that completely and fully to do that. These disciples were going to learn more than just information. They were going to learn who they were, who they weren't, and what was so valuable to them, they would leave everything to have it. Do you know what this follow me and fish for people means? Every fish in that net is a Peter whose guilt and shame and sins are caught in the hands of a saving God. Hands that bled for you, hands that died for you, hands that say, you are mine despite you, but because of who I am. That's amazing. And then to go to Zebedee's sons 
and to call them out of everything that is comfortable, everything that they knew, everything that was normal, and to bring them out of their woodwork and, and identity and claim and legacy and everything for Zebedee to be in on this and for the hired men to watch it happen in front of their eyes that they're going to follow Jesus. They're going to do this, this is the priority. Think about it, Jesus' words, follow me from the shore, is a kind of a tense moment. You're putting, do I stay or do I go side by side? You're, you're asked to elevate one thing over another. You're asked to make a priority. You're asked to leave other things behind and say, this word of God is important that we gather around here. And it's more important than the other things I could be doing. You're going to let go of earthly treasures. Over $200,000 in 2020, raised by this congregation for the ministry and work of this congregation, let go of. You know what we could have done with $200,000 instead? And we think we could have, earthly things we could have enjoyed. And 2 Corinthians just comes right in there and says to you, from now on, we look at nothing from a worldly point of view. We once looked at Jesus as just a man, and we've, we've moved on from that. We won't look at this the same anymore. Leave everything else behind. I know what takes priority. I enjoy a hug with my kids. I enjoy playing at the park or a board game. I enjoy going for a hike out in the wilderness. It was this last Monday, we got to go skiing. I had a great family day. Um, and sometimes on ski lifts, you know, you get separated. And I had thought about this ahead of time, and I thought, you know, it's going to be really nice every time I have a little, I'm going to have little moments with, with my kids. And I know I'm going to have the chance to say things to them, like on a chairlift. So there I was with, with Emma on a chairlift, and it was just the two of us. Somebody else was on a different lift, somebody else was behind on a different lift, and, and you, you know, you got that minute of time. And at some point, you know, I was just talking to her about her year, her life, how I loved her. And I said, you know what, what means the most to me was if I get to share heaven with you someday. It's really all that matters. Things that we don't always prioritize in the words off our lips, but they're there. Because every time you hug a child, you know, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, you know that there is a sin and a death and a curse on every hill and every mountain, and it is only God who has put a net there. And if I don't talk about that net, then what, what am I as a parent? <laughs> if I don't understand that curse and just going to sit on the medicine in my hand and not talk about really what matters most, what is it? That's, that's what's happening here. At the, at the center is a Jesus who came in fulfillment of a word God had given to the world, a word that promised a Savior, a word that many times they tossed in the garbage, right, and went on to their idols, a word that they imprisoned John the Baptist for taking it up and daring to speak it again, a word that Jesus put on his lips, but not just on his lips, a word that Jesus fulfilled, 
a word of God that would put a savior into a sinful world, that would put a way out for you, an exit from dust and ashes, a way to live forever, a way to be forgiven all of your sins, a way to have power in the midst of weakness, a way to be strong because God is strong wherever you find yourself. Jesus did all of that, There's, it's him in the middle, and now he's doing one of these, and he's saying, come and learn the ropes with me, come and learn my father's business, come and gather. You know why you prioritize a Sunday morning like this, and you carve out this little time to connect with the word of God, and so you can go and share these words with other people. You can go and you can talk about dust and ashes and hilltops that don't work. These disciples were going to embody this, they're gonna look people in the eye and say, I fled too. I am not proclaiming myself to you. I am proclaiming myself with you, lost in an ocean. A deep, dark place without the net of God. And I recognize the value that I will not let it go of what it means for a fish to be caught in that net, a sinner to be found in his hands. Because that's me. And I can say to any person I find, that's you too. Someday, you're going to sit at a banquet table with Peter, with an Andrew, a John the Baptist, a Zebedee, living Savior members, family members, believers around the world. And some, some of them will even be able to, like you, have the opportunity to say, God used you, what you did, what you said, God used you, as a, you, you put this different net out there in my life. You pointed me to something that was bigger than any other hug, any other love, any other kindness you told me of God, who he really was. I'm here because you went fishing. Be warned, it might cost you everything. Rejoice, there's no greater thing you could ever have. In Jesus' name, amen.